Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello, I'm Matt Kelly. And I'm Matt Dancona. And this is The Two Mats, episode 24, for the week ending December the 1st. It's an Advent podcast episode. It's an Advent podcast, so everyone's getting excited for Christmas. And what lies within. Well... What are we going to call this episode? What did we talk about? Well, we talked a bit about Rishi Sunak's uh, Elgin Marbles, Parthenon Sculpture breakdown. Um, But we we also talked at, at some length about... Henry Kissinger and we his did. record, which I was... Uh, his divisive record. And and he, he absolutely... Where and, do you think he is right now? Well, that's the question, isn't it? Yeah. Where, yeah. And I, well, well, I mean... Heaven the, or hell. Is that the title? That is no. the title, I think. Heaven or hell for Kissinger. Heaven yeah. or hell for Kissinger. Okay, folks. So Enjoy. this is The Two Mats, episode 24, Heaven, Heaven or, or hell, hell for Kissinger. Kissinger. Enjoy. So, Matt, what are we talking about this week? Well, I think we have to talk about Henry Kissinger. Yeah. He's died aged 100. Mm. Um, his strange and extraordinary figure, uh, you know, kind of straddles the, the, the last century when he lived to 100. You know, vilified, but constantly consulted, you know, and advised every US president, official or otherwise, from JFK to Joe Biden. That's right. A great self-mythologizer. Mm. And I think one approach to look at what he stood for is to remember where he came from. Um, but should we have a quick clip yes, about how a, even uh, if our producer Ollie could just play us um, a clip of uh, uh, an interview you did for CBS. If a president were to come to you and say, Henry, would you fly to Moscow and talk to Putin? I would be inclined to do it, yes. But I would be an advisor, not an active person. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about reinstating you as Secretary of State for the... <laughs> it, of course you'd be an advisor. Yes, absolutely. So there you have him. He's 100. Yeah. And still talking about how, you know, he'd be prepared to go to see Putin, who he knew very yeah. well, and who sent a message of condolence. Um, and just to put that 100 years, because obviously 100 years ago yeah. was 1923, he was... Nine years old when he was told, woken up and told that Hitler had been made Chancellor yes, and, of Germany. and 12 yeah. when the Nuremberg Laws came into effect. Yeah. And um, his family got out just in time, After really. Kristallnacht, um, when he was and, a teenager. And, yeah. and, and migrated to America. And I think 
when you're looking at him, I mean, there's so much I can say about him, but I think that that basically he he incarnated one response to the Holocaust and Nazism, which was you had to have order, you had to have stability. The other response was you needed United Nations, you needed um, charters of human rights, you needed a, an idealistic set of uh, international international laws, international rules. Kissinger was a much, you know, he became known for real, so-called realpolitik, which was nations have interests, small and values, and that his job as national security advisor and secretary of state, posts he held simultaneously under Nixon, amazingly, meant that he had to always be looking out for America's interests in this, you know, shifting geopolitical world, which meant that he was involved in some pretty horrible things. Yeah, and that that um, holding of National Security Advisor and Secretary of State was unique, is it unique, was, I think, is unique. for four years. He, uh, it, he was United States foreign policy, he, basically. He totally was, and managed thereafter to to sort of carry on being seen as as this great this great oracle figure yeah. um which you know the longevity of the man you know that he was uh not just in terms of actual how, actually how long he lived but that in I think 2019 he published a book with Eric Schmidt on the future of AI yeah inc- well uh, incredible. Well, incredible I wouldn't turn to a mid 90 year old man no no I mean but but, but I mean it, it, the, the fact I mean in, in a sense the the sheer audacity of the yes. guy you know yeah, to yeah, do yeah, to yeah. do that I I, I I bumped into him a few times over, over the years and because he was not as you can see he's not media shy yeah um he was one of those people where access was never really a problem and yeah. i think you know he managed to he managed to keep his image very cleverly alive over the years because he he was seemed to me to be completely at peace with the vilification yeah so i remember one breakfast at um george weidenfeld the publisher's flat in chelsea um I think in the 90s. And I asked him because it was famously, he, he Kissinger, was supposed to have said, who do I call if I want to speak to Europe, right? <laughs> this was meant to be. Um, and I said, well, did you actually say that? And, you know, what did you mean? And he said, I, these words were not mine. He said, but I'm perfectly happy to take credit. Yeah, And yeah. I thought that was absolutely, you know, that really tells yeah. you a lot about it. And, and another time that sticks in the mind was in 2002 when I interviewed him for the Sunday Telegraph and he was um, at the Royal Albert Hall about to do a gig, a corporate gig to loads of businessmen. Um, and at the time, a Spanish judge was pursuing him in, as part of the investigation into all the various terrible things that had gone in on. Chile. In Chile and elsewhere, yeah, yeah. and um, so it was a very, very surreal experience because we were doing the interview in the basement of the Royal Albert Hall with special branch everywhere, crowds yeah. outside protesting about yeah. war crimes and so on. Um, and he was, I think, he was loving it. He was absolutely loving loved it. Loved it, yeah. He loved I, the attention. That, would that be the same time that Pinochet? Yes, was it was. Being it, it was all wrapped up. Yeah. It was Balthazar. Yeah. Balthazar Kazan was the name of the, yeah, that's right. the guy, the judge, and um, uh, he was wrapped up. And of course, nothing came of it. But yeah. um, but it, it's interesting when you think about Kissinger because I mean we're 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 right in the middle of a conflict in the Middle East and watching. One of his successors, Tony Blinken, the the present secretary, American Secretary of State, 
dash from capital to capital in what you know we've come to know as shuttle diplomacy mm. and really Kissinger invented that mm. during the the the, the, the 1970 and after the 1973 Yom Kippur war and I, I was just checking this out there was a period where he there was a 34 day trip where I think in 1974 when he visited Jerusalem 16 times and Damascus 15 times wow, yeah you know and what came I mean he he saved Golda Meir really in that war yeah. and then helped to broker a, a deal between Egypt and Israel so that you know that was a, a a fascinating thing but I think what we're seeing now is the world that he tried to construct and you know he was a huge player in it even when not serving officially in office that is now unraveling it arguably has unraveled mm. so if you if you go through the checklist um you know, he's probably most famous for having brokered a deal between the US and China. 72, Nixon becomes the first US president to visit mainland China. And indeed, you know, the, the, he's been hailed as China's old friend um, in the in the obits already. And he went to yeah. see Xi, President Xi Jinping in July this year, you know, so he Amazing. retained that. But, you know, that a lot, that opening up of China yeah was meant to give america an advantage in the sort of triangular fight between china russia and the and us yeah. but the the irony is that china did open up and has become this kind of economic superpower so i mean yeah. that that was an unintended consequence i think um, it, 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 i mean it, the other side of the coin obviously we've made mentioned some of the net positives but there are plenty of mm. net debits on the account loads and and, and what are you know you're struck by people saying either you know controversial complicated but mm. man of his time author of realpolitik and a man who saw the world on, on a macro level that very few others yes. could and with almost unique kind of audacity and ambition set about personally yes. deciding to shape the world so yes. that's one view the other view is as somebody tweeted this morning he should have died in the in a prison cell in the hague you know like he's a war criminal well i mean uh, look he undoubtedly played fast and loose to say the least yeah. with international law i mean he yeah. and nixon the two of them um can you imagine i mean that yeah. that was a partnership that um uh, it, it worked in 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 the sort of realpolitik sense that they did work very well together. Although I'm not sure they liked each other, but um, you know the 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 other thing that came out of it, I suppose, was well, two things. One was détente with Russia. There was the classic textbook Kissinger strategy, and that led that did lead to um, arms and limitations deals. Yes. You know, because this was Nixon's. Um, phrase of linkage yes where they where military goals would be linked to economic exactly and political exactly. goals and exactly. if you do this we'll do that yeah and and, and 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 so i guess the other two big headline things were reshaping the middle east post the yom kippur war we've already mentioned um and then the the, the shabby but inevitable withdrawal from vietnam, vietnam. yeah for which he hilariously won the um 
Nobel Peace Prize, mm. which Tom Lehrer, the great satirist, yeah. said that satire was dead after this. There was no point in anyone doing well, political he, he satire said, uh, anymore. He said that he should have been awarded the Nobel Prize for death. Yes, and I think he, I think he even yeah. Kissinger did offer to give it back. I think he did. He, he and, was embarrassed. And that then later, that as when America came out of Vietnam, and the uh, North Vietnamese started getting the upper hand and and uh, had encampments in Cambodia. This yes. led to the most egregious um, charge against Kissinger. Which I think is it the, is the big one. The bombing of, yeah, of Cambodia, where tens of thousands of people were killed, ordinary people, yes. peasants, not... not uh, and led directly, directly to the start to, of the Khmer Rouge. Absolutely, which, I mean, which was then led to a genocide. If you've seen the Killing Fields, yeah, a wonderful film, that, a yeah. wonderful film. That awful series of atrocities was made possible yeah. by you know America's um, strategy of bombing Cambodia. And, and it should be said, I think I'm right in saying there's twenty thousand people, and there are still people to this day who are being killed and losing limbs yes, because through were, the landmines that were absolutely, scattered absolutely. and dropped on that land. So in a real... I mean, it's worth spelling out because I think when we talk about politics, and this is one of the great conundrums, isn't it? Yes. You, we talk about strategy and geopolitics, and then at the very far end of that spectrum, there there's somebody limping yes, around with absolutely. one leg because of a decision that Kissinger took, you know? I mean, it's a very strange arc, isn't it, of a life? You know, you start off as a escapee from the beginnings of the Holocaust, and you make your name as someone who is pursuing America's vital interests around the world through being indifferent to precisely the consequences you're talking about. That's it, um, yeah. And he, la later in life, he would allow in interviews a little bit more morality into his... Yeah. Um, he would say, oh, it's very important to bear in mind, you know, morals. But I'm not sure he ever really believed that. And he, again, he personified this great tension there is in American foreign policy between having an objective, you know, yeah. having having a, a plan for the world and realpolitik, politic, which is basically just keep order keep stability i think this is right and i think and you used a word earlier which i think is really crucial you described him as a player and yes. i think people who like christopher hitchens for instance yes. who who charge him as an evil person yes. with criminal behaviors and uh and then other people who say well no, no great statesman and he and it's, it's kind to me it kind of misses the point because both of those assessments are grounded in a sense of morality and i don't think I don't think, as you've just said, I don't think he was uh, affected by morality. He saw it as a game. And he saw almost like a kind of 1984-esque juggling act of three or, or, powers. Or, or the Congress of Vienna. You yeah, know, I mean, what right. was, what's interesting about him is that um, Reagan didn't like him very much because right. Reagan wanted to win the Cold War, yeah. right? And the neocons who fought for the the conflict in Afghanistan and, and Iraq weren't sure about him either because they, you know, the Rumsfelds and the Cheneys, because they had, you know, they had a name, which yeah. was, you know, we want to... We want a kind of imperium in the Middle East. And that wasn't Kissinger at all. What Kissinger wanted was this this stability and order that would enable America to pursue its interests at, at, at more or less any cost. I don't think there was any... I mean, at one point, and this really was, I think, one of his lowest 
points. He was he wrote a book in favour of tactical nuclear or saying right, tactical nuclear right. war uh, was was okay, and yeah. he resolved from that position later in life. But I mean, that's a measure of how far he was willing to go down the by yeah. any means necessary line. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think I do think the as I said, I do think the world that he he helped to build has now pretty much unravelled. Yeah. Um, what we're looking at now is is a is a kind of axis of Russia, China, and Iran fighting mm. on various fronts in the Middle East, in Ukraine, and uh, I I fear in due course in Taiwan, and it, the world is not stable yeah. by any definition. But what he but what he has bequeathed, I mean, I think the the thing one can say most in his sort of credit is that he was he never disguised any of this, yeah, and. You know, the realpolitik that he openly espoused is actually everywhere. I mean, you know, look at, look at, we're, we're recording this on Thursday and COP28 is opening um, in Dubai. And, you know, the leaders of the world will be there tolerating the UAE doing fossil fuel deals that's right yeah. at a meeting that is meant to reduce fossil fuel that's usage right, that's right. um and you know we will not hear very much i bet you this year 2023 or 2024 um uh, uh u.s election year about the fate of the uyghurs in 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 china you know we are we still have that willful blindness that is part of real politic it is still there and the difference was that that um, Kissinger was quite open about yeah. it. You the know. other thing that he um, that hasn't been talked about so much is his career after leaving the yes. administration, which is is fascinating because he he pioneered this idea that you could go and set up an international consultancy. You can draw draw a direct line between yeah. Kissinger and Tony Blair, absolutely. For instance, in how they've acted after office by making millions and millions and millions of pounds extending that influence they picked up in office and poking their noses around everywhere yes and know. and and it and that carried on the, the the idea that you know he was the go-to person so all these presidents would call him you know incredible when you it, think about it it is incredible but it shows you how how much by creating a sort of image of yourself you can succeed if you you have that sheer yeah. chutzpah that he had yeah. interesting on the british angle which is that I remember what, in that interview I mentioned, I asked him about Blair, and he said he liked Blair, but he said he was a little too Gladstonian, which I thought was the absolutely <laughs> sort of classic Kissinger line, really. But he was also dead wrong about Brexit because yeah. he said that, um, I remember at the time, he said that leaving the EU would give the UK a stronger negotiating hand in America. Hmm. Mm. Not sure about that one, Henry. Um, but he did say something very funny about Boris Johnson. Oh, please. Which was, um, <laughs> uh, this was in the middle of the the vote had happened and it was during the period of hell of not, not getting the thing done. Yeah. And he said that the quality of leadership was not appropriate to the challenge. Which <laughs> <laughs> Really, not appropriate to the but challenges. The, but the, the ultimate diplomatic euphemism. It's interesting, actually, people who, very clever people who have English as their second language, like yeah. Joseph Conrad yes. and Nabokov and Desire Berlin and yeah, him, yeah, yeah. they speak in in paragraphs. Uh-huh. And so it was one of the most sort of weird and, and formidable things about ever talking to him was that 
there, were, there was no arming and eyeing. There was no normal demotic. It was just you'd ask him a question and then he would deliver what amounted to uh, an exam answer. Right. Um, yeah. Wonderful command of, of, of English. And an enormous brain. You know, oh, huge brain. Indisputable. I mean, what I, what I think is, is certainly the case is that all of the things that we've been talking about, the horrors, um, it, you know, it may have suited him to have um, claimed he didn't know about and he, w- he will have known about all of them. Yeah. He will have known exactly what he was doing, even when he was just sending signals through the uh, US national security apparatus about things going on in particularly Latin America, particularly on the, the, the in, in the backyard. He'll have known precisely what he was doing yeah, yeah. in the same way that he he told Nixon he needed to set up his own crazily set up his own sort of White House group of um, of kind of investigators and burglars and so on the so-called plumbers uh, that were ended up being responsible for the Watergate uh, break-ins and Nixon's downfall. Kissinger never took any of the heat for that. Yeah. Was Even, that because he was too, too clever enough to, to step back and say, you just crack on? Or was he I, well, he was, in, was he involved in the... Uh, he suggested it. He did suggest it, didn't he? He suggested wow. it, but it was Haldeman and Ehrlichman yeah, who and, and, and the others around who went and yeah. actually did it. As far as the, the records show and, and the thousands of hours of tapes from the Oval Office, which clearly Kissinger knew about what happening there's no evidence that he ever said go and you know um even go go and burgle daniel ellsberg's um records you know the 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 pentagon papers guy certainly not the democratic headquarters at the watergate he was he was very canny you know and and managed astonishingly to survive into the gerald ford administration and then become an unofficial advisor to to all these subsubsequent presidents. And it was amazing. Was, was it Christopher Hitchens's book that was the sort of pivotal point where people started looking at him very differently? Well, I think it was more that another, uh, a fresh generation came to yeah, him because yeah. um, I suppose when that came out, um, it, the trial of Henry Kissinger. Yeah, um, 2001, I think. Yeah, you know, a lot of people, yeah. I mean, by then he'd been out of office for, you yeah. know, more than 20 years. He was, so, only, he was 53 when he left office. Right, he was a very man, young man, you know. You know yeah. So so I think that what Hitch's book did was it sort of it, it introduced a, a, a new generation to the, the record and yeah. in, you know, with the customary Hitchens brio and detail and argument and polemical force and so there's no doubt that that book had a big yeah. impact upon you know the way it was seen um but he just kept going he, he just described kept going. him as a i think a stupendous liar with a remarkable memory <laughs> which i thought was a great a exactly. great summary really and i mean a, a sort of an interesting footnote to all this is that as we discovered when we interviewed michael wolf back in september uh, for the podcast um, about his really excellent book about Rupert Murdoch, The Fall. Yeah, and people um, should go back and listen to that. And, and please, please do go back yeah. and have a listen. Is that um, the Kissingers, Henry and his second wife, Nancy, were great friends of Rupert Murdoch. Right. So the loss of Kissinger will be another yeah. de- depletion to Murdoch. In Murdoch. Which, you know, Very it's in, it's, I mean, it's a fast... It is interesting because... Um, if people, are, if, if listeners are interested, I mean, the, the the two great books to read, other than Christopher's, it, uh, there's a wonderful book by Robert Dalek called Nixon and Kissinger: Partners in Power, and then an earlier 
single volume biography by Walter Isaacson on Kissinger, which yes. Kissinger hated. Oh, did he? Always is, a good indicator. Which is a re- it is really <laughs> it's very it's a very good book. Excellent. Um, well, um, end but, of an era. End of an era for for, yeah. for good or ill. Yeah. And I hope that I hope that you know I really hope that the obits, which are just beginning to crank out as we're recording this, are you know really frank because yeah. one wants to read the whole. Yeah, unvarnished truth about this. So let's ask. Let me ask you a really unfair question. Yeah, is he on this awful phrase "the right side of history"? I don't think if if you're judging anybody, then Kissinger's probably a fair target to ask. In twenty years, fifty years, do you think people will look back at Kissinger and think international statesman, or will they look at him as a criminal? Well, I think they they might judge him as an international statesman, but on in terms of the right side of history, and I'm not judging this in terms of virtue or vice, I think actually, for reasons we've just been discussing, a lot of the things that he thought would lead to a fairly long-term stability have unraveled. Yeah, he got it wrong. Yeah, and, and at a, as we've also discussed, at a very, very high human price. Yeah. So, you know, what what the period of massive geopolitical instability we're in now, I think some of the sort of seeds of that were sown yeah. in the... Because a lot of what realpolitik involves is kicking cans down the road. Right. You know, it's not about settling things. It's right. about sort of, let's just keep that at bay. Let's just, let me, I'll go to Moscow and sort it out. Make I'll a bit call, of progress here. Make, make a, a bit, bit of progress, progress there, yeah. yeah. But actually you don't resolve. You know, yeah. the, he, would, one of many, did not land yeah. a, a two-state deal in, in the Middle East. Quite, you know, quite. amongst many other things. Very good, very good. Thank you for that, Matt. Um, really illuminating. And come back, please, folks. We're going to take a very short break and then we're going to talk about another towering international statesman. A really big statesman. Rishi Sunak. Still is. <laughs> <laughs> Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. 
Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Thank you for listening to The Two Mats. And if you like the kind of conversations we have here, there are loads more to be had in print and online at The New European. Uh, and I have got a very special offer for all listeners of the two mats. We are giving away copies of Alistair Campbell's Diaries 2023, which is a book we're publishing this month. Uh, it's a fantastic diary full of everything that's happened, all the people he's met. And anybody who's uh, a fan of Alistair Campbell's Diaries over the years know how brilliantly he turns them out. He is very much a latter-day Samuel Peeps. He really is. He is. So you can get a free copy of Alistair Campbell's Diaries, 2023, worth £20, when you subscribe to the New European from as little as £1 a week. Or if you like getting the newspaper delivered to your door every single week, you can have that for just another pound a week. And that's a 75% saving on the price you'll pay at the newsagents. To get this great offer, go to www.theneweuropean.co.uk forward slash two mats that's the number two m-a-t-t-s tell them i sent you and you'll get your free copy of alistair campbell's diary 2023 delivered to you in time for christmas tell them matt sent you welcome back folks and uh, we're gonna talk about um this other this this man this giant this legend that is not rishi sunak already on mount rushmore in our hearts <laughs> <laughs> so, but he certainly will not be having have his face engraved on the parthenon we can be clear about that uh, that's one one of many places he won't have his face no, engraved no. on let's ask uh, producer ollie if we've got a little clip of keir starmer making clear why mr speaker never mind the british museum it's the prime minister who's obviously lost his marbles yeah. Speaker, the Greek Prime Minister, the Greek Prime Minister came to London to meet him, a fellow NATO member, an economic ally, one of our most important partners in tackling illegal immigration. But instead of using that meeting to discuss those serious issues, he tried to humiliate him and cancelled at the last minute. Why such small politics? Prime Minister. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, of course, of course, we're always happy to discuss important topics of substance with our allies, like tackling illegal migration or indeed strengthening our security. But when it was clear that the purpose of a meeting was not to discuss substantive issues for the future, but rather to grandstand and relitigate issues of the past, it wasn't appropriate. Well, um, so yeah, small politics, uh, teeny weeny politics. When I first heard this, I just, I just something a little bit more of me died inside yes. about the state of this country's politics and, and our it's, leadership. It's embarrassing. It's just pathetic. It's, it's really embarrassing. I mean, that guy's prime minister of our country. Uh, um, and what, what, what do you think's going on? In, I mean, at some point during that day, somebody said, "Oh, have you have you seen this interview with Laura Koonsberg? And then he Sunak who we know to be brittle personally, has gone, right, yeah. on our So, so he, he was due to see Kyriakos Mitsotakis on Tuesday. 
that this was in the book. And then Mitsotakis went on uh, Laura Koonsberg's show on the BBC on Sunday, uh, perfectly reasonable, and she was asked about the Parthenon Mar. What are you? I mean, the name is um, controversial, but let's call yeah. them the Parthenon sculptures, which is what yeah. the British Museum calls them. Some people call them the Elgin Marbles, and. Mitsotakis said very reasonably, well, you know, we'd like them back. Uh, and, uh, you know, how would you feel if the half the Mona Lisa was in London and half of it was in Paris? Which, which has is, been their position forever. Forever. It? I mean, this was not a de- declaration of hostilities. No. It was nothing. It was a perfectly reason. He could hardly have said, I'm I'm afraid I'm, you know, I know nothing. I can't yeah. say anything, you know. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm afraid I'm not at liberty. No comment. Yeah. That would have been ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but obviously, as a direct consequence of this, uh, Sunak went nuclear and yeah. uh, decided that he had come here to use that ludicrous word he used in PMQs. Um, he'd come to grandstand, Incredible. which he'd obviously not come to. And 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 uh, Mitsotakis saw Keir Starmer, which meant that Keir Starmer is now sort of unofficially prime minister designate. Um Sunak said, oh, I won't see you, but you can have Oliver Dowden, which I, you know, I would venture to say is not necessarily an appetising offer to a head of government. Um, yeah. And yeah. Uh, Mr. Targis went home. Yeah. Uh, I mean, can you imagine what that was? That, that's like when if it, it, reverse it, say Rishi Sunak had gone to Greece for a meeting. Yeah. And had been asked on a Greek TV show. Uh, what about, are you ever going to give these marbles back? And had said, well, no, I'm not, you know, they're blah, 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 and stated his case. And then the Greek prime minister then said, well, you can get on the next plane home, mate. I'm not even meeting you. Can you imagine the the response here to that? Daily Mail, They would have been calling for tactical nuclear strikes. Yes, no, absolutely. It's Uh, insane. A task force, a (laughs) Falkland-style task force. Well, so, okay, so we laugh. Okay. No, but but it's true. But is there something in this that Sunak sat there and half-calculated, give me a Falklands, right, we'll go to war culturally with I think he moved into that zone. I think his first... I think it happened because of peak and petulance. So we've talked often on the podcast about his extraordinary tetchiness yeah. you know he does he is a tantrum thrower and he yeah. doesn't like this sort he's of thing he's a nappy wetting baby he, he i mean or let's say let's say the greek prime minister had gone to downing street and let's say the first thing he'd said had been look here sunak you know i want my marbles back yeah. all he had to say was actually you know with respect no yeah next question yeah it's not the end of the world it's not that triggering yeah uh, nor is it a new issue it's been around for a long time and if time. you can't deal with that level of international deal. politics you can't deal with anything this is just i mean this is a very very i mean i happen to think that 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 they are the logical place for them to be is in the acropolis museum yeah i think that george osborne the chair of the british museum has been arguing for a loan you know per which would probably become permanent. Yeah. This would be absolutely the right thing to do. It wouldn't open the uh, floodgates to the sort of disaggregation of every single museum collection in the land. It wouldn't require any legislation. It's a sensible um, answer to a, a, a grievance that's been going on forever. Yeah. And I, I don't understand why it is so difficult for Sunak to deal with a problem of that frankly quite minimal 
yeah. difficulty. But it's, I mean, it's almost even worse than that because it was a non-problem. It, it, it was a non-problem. It is a non-problem. They created this problem. They it didn't is a non-problem. even have to mention it. There know. are, there are. I mean, every 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 ally has every alliance yeah. has some yeah you know stain on it has some problem yeah. in it. Of course. Yeah. Um, you know, with the, I'm sure that the crazy new president of Argentina at some point will raise yeah. the Falklands. But are we never? Are we going to? Is he going to? Is he not going to invite the prime minister of Spain over? Exactly, because Gibraltar, Gibraltar occasionally yeah. comes up. You know, um, now and again. I mean, it is ridiculous. Um, and it, there's a kind of. Um, I mean, it is funny. It is ridiculous. But you can see that from the pettiness that then evolved into a. Uh, probably a kind of low-grade culture war instinct, which was, I'm not going to be pushed around by some continental head of government. You know, this belongs to Britain. You know, I yeah. am taking long-term decisions for a brighter future. I think he's completely misread Britain. I mean, I, I, I don't care what people's estimation of the average Brit is, but I'll tell you this. I don't think the average Brit would look at what went on last week over that and think anything other than, you stupid, petty little wanker. Yeah, I think that's the precise language they would have used because yeah. there are monuments and there are... Uh, things in in um, museums and galleries and so on which do command huge affection but th this is not one of them you yeah. know the, the 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 elgin marbles or whatever we want to call them i mean i i went to see them quite recently and uh you know th there they are in the british museum and there's a small trickle of tourists looking at them and they're they're very beautiful they show a um a their sort of 5th century BC, they showed a celebration of the birthday of um, Athena. They, they, you know, they, they have this sort of sense of the ancient past calling through the, the millennia. But, mm. but you know, they're not um, central to our national identity. They, they're really, they really aren't. Well, the only element of national identity they touch on is our proclivity to roam around the world looting it. Yes, I mean, one of the things in, uh, again, we, we come to Christopher Hitchens yet again, who wrote a, yeah. a book about this in 1987. And one of the things he established was that Lord Elgin, who was the ambassador to the Ottoman Empire, who 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 took these, um, the legal. I mean, officially he did so legally, um, but Hitchens establishes quite cleverly that the the legality was yeah. perhaps not all it was cracked and up. And also, to be. I mean, the guy took them for his own house. Yes, I mean, he was, yes, he didn't take them to 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 put on display in no. the world's greatest museum. He took them to decorate his own house, and they so obviously belong with other parts of that. Sculpture series coming home from from your trip and, and your wife. What did you get? How, how are you, darling? Bring anything home for the kids? Yes, I brought these bloody truckloads of marbles. Yeah, I, I got some marbles. Yeah, no, what what a, what a souvenir, <laughs> eh? But you know, people have been handing back parts. Yeah. So the the Italians gave a, a bunch of fragments in two thousand and eight, and apparently um, the Vatican gave a, 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 a three fragments of, of the Parthenon Temple back to. Um, Greece uh, yeah. this year. In other words, th th there's a there's a crazy culture war. Um, this is a slippery slope argument. Yeah. No, no, there isn't. Yeah. I mean, this is a this is done case by case. Yeah, this is not going to end up with the museums of Britain being emptied at a stroke. No, that's right. Um, and I, I, there is there are times when, at minimum, I mean, why not talk about it? Yeah. There, you know, the counter argument is the British Museum is this most remarkable, unique depository of 
it's a, a snapshot of the world through yes. the dimension of time. Yeah. And, and so it will remain. And it will rem- if anybody who's ever been to the British Museum, it is the most extraordinary, wonderful place, and it could well cope without the Parthenon yes. marbles, which would look just as glorious in the purpose-built uh, Acropolis venue, Museum. Acropolis Museum that they've built for them. I mean, we again, I think it though it shows that we are in this sort of post-Brexit era, and especially under Sunak, we're a nation that has lost its confidence. Yeah. Because to feel threatened by this particular yeah. uh, suggestion is absurd. I think you're right. I, think, abs- that's the, it, I think that's the absolute point, is that it, it's, we, it's, it's, a, abs- it's little thinking. It's little thinking. And actually, to watch um, them lean into it, I mean, yeah. it was it was obviously uh, he did throw a, a strop, the meeting was cancelled. The Greeks were furious. But then number 10 kept briefing the lobby. And as we saw, he, you know, he he tried to desperately and, and unsuccessfully to defend himself against Keir Starmer. Yeah. And I thought Keir Starmer... Starmer was good, wasn't he? Starmer was really good. Yeah, I mean, from the corniest... I mean that that's the first joke on the on the slate, isn't it? Yeah, You've losing your marbles. marbles. Yeah, okay, no, scratch that and think of something it, better. It's a but, bit, it's a bit obvious, but um, I think there is a, there is something there though, which is that bit by bit, uh, Starmer is growing in size as Sunak shrinks. Yeah, you know, there's a, there's a. I remember years ago, Jack Straw saying to me that the problem Blair had was that everyone thought he was prime minister from 1994, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Not 1997. Yeah. Now, I don't think Starmer's got that. Yeah. But what is certainly the case is that Sunak really stitched himself up there by yeah. allowing Starmer to have a, a meeting with him, a meeting with the Greek prime minister, and, and he didn't have one. I mean, what is the impression that leaves is that the Labour leader, Keir Starmer, is going to win the next election and is meet and is holding court to yeah. foreign leaders. That tells you in one little episode why Rishi Sunak not only probably will lose the next election, but definitely deserves to. Totally. Another mortifying episode in so post Brexit history. Well, uh, let's draw that one to a close. I'm sure it'll rear up again. But what didn't we have time to talk well, about this week? Well, there was lots going on. I mean, first, just wanted to mention the Booker Prize yes. winner this year uh, is um, Prophet Song by Paul Lynch, which is a dystopian novel about Ireland under a sort of emergency law authoritarian regime. And it was chosen by the Book of Judges, um, S.A.D. Jan being the chair uh, and I was I was a Booker judge back in 2011, and I can, Were you? I can what won it that year? Uh, the um, Sense of an Ending by Julian Barnes. Oh, which great! Is, yeah. um, but did it you is vote? A, did you vote for that? Uh, I did. Well, you, of Do course, you're never all allowed all to vote. Are unanimous, <laughs> but uh, yes, I did vote yeah. for it. But it's you know that then was 135 novels, and um, there are more now because it's a, they've admitted you know American <laughs> books. And it's a yeah. big task. So I have a lot of sympathy with the judges, and it's always good when they come up with a with a belter and a lot of people have been very sniffy about this one which is because it's a, a dystopian book which i suppose is a genre now handmaid's tale 1984 and so on um people say oh you know that doesn't really amount to much actually it does and and it and it <laughs> you know coincided as it rather bleakly turned out with the the recent riots in in dublin and yeah. and, and the race riots and and uh, some very unpleasant far-right activity in Dublin uh, and 
I just think you. I think it's worth saying. I mean, my my opinion only, but I think it was an excellent choice. And they get you know, Booker gets a lot of flack for choosing the wrong book. But I, I thought it was say, a good one. Dystopia as a genre could also be called non-fiction these days. It could, it could indeed. I mean, the, you know, the only yeah. argument against was that the real world is you know ahead of the, yeah, the yeah, fictional yeah. world. But it's a, it's a good book. It's very and we good. can't. I mean, it has been. A, we've as we say, we're recording this on the Thursday, the morning that Henry Kissinger died, and then the deaths kept coming with they uh, appalling. Did. Uh, regularity we had so, Shane McGowan first of all Shane McGowan uh, age 65 yeah. and you know I think uh, he's been kept in the, in sort of the cultural sphere by the fairy tale of New York which yeah. we a section of which we actually sang we did yeah. we <laughs> in, in, a re- in a recent we murdered in a recent podcast yeah. um, but it's a great Christmas single and one yeah. hopes goes to number well, one this year. I don't think there's any question about no. that. No, um, but you know, it was also uh, one of the great post-punk uh, yeah. interpreters of Irish and British music and with the Pogues. I and, mean, look, any, what was the name of that documentary? Uh, the oh, great? Crock of Gold Clock by of Gold. Julian, Julian yeah. Temple. Which if you haven't seen, folks, is, is a, it's, a, it's, a be- it's a very artistically told is, story yeah. of his life. But it's, I mean, it's just fascinating. Well worth, well worth watching. But when you see how he lived, I think, you know, the idea that Shane McGowan outlived Henry Kissinger. It's quite extraordinary. <laughs> I, it really is. It's amazing. And it's, it's got wonderful moments in it, hasn't it? Like uh, Johnny Depp yeah. trying to be cool with him in, <laughs> yeah. in, in the pub. I mean, there's just some something yeah. rather wonderful about it. And then as we're just recording, uh, I walk in and you said Shane, you WhatsApp me said Shane McGowan's dead and I returned volley with... Alistair Darling's dead. Yes. Poor old Alistair Darling. Poor old Alistair Darling. Uh, yeah. he, was, he was only, what? 70 years old. And, you know, to, to put this, I uh, can't put this more delicately, really, um, he lived, uh, I think, a slightly uh, less um, toxic <laughs> lifestyle <laughs> yeah, than, than yeah, Shane yeah. McGowan. Uh, a lovely man yeah. and uh, very clever and actually, I think, an underrated chancellor. Yes, very um, much, yeah. Had a tense relationship with Gordon Brown because who would want to take over the Chancellor's role from Gordon Brown as Prime who began became Prime Minister. But he was a he was an extremely clever and and thoroughly decent man. Well when you look at it relative to the current crop, you know, they they stand like giants, those guys. Uh, And and they really were a very impressive I mean, it's easy to forget, but they really were a very. It was a very impressive government. All it told. really was. Well, you condolences know. and sympathies condolences to, to all, all involved. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for listening, folks. I hope you found that entertaining and informative. Get your questions in as ever, and any feedback uh, you want to give us to the two mats. That's the number two m a t t s at t n e publishing dot com, or if you listen on Spotify, you can just message us there. There's a little box you can type in your remarks and questions uh, which is a new Spotify thing which is very useful and that's exactly what Jonathan Lefeuve did who says love your show guys and a great one on how to spot a fascist list I know what my Christmas dinner conversation is going to be now well I'm not sure John that I would say it's the perfect Christmas dinner conversation on It'll identifying be a cracker. fascism but thank you <laughs> thank you for your feedback and we welcome Christmas parlor games observation <laughs> Fascist who charades. Needs, who needs fascist charades? Fascist charades oh, at oh, Jonathan's house. You're pinnish, they, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> we are back with a new episode on Sunday, our regular Q&A episode. So get your questions in, please. Thanks as ever to our production team. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Team this week led by Ollie Peart and brilliantly assisted by the wonderful Maya Siedeland. Thank you, Maya. And until next week... It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. Goodbye. Goodbye.